Offering bundled products is quite simply one of the most important things you could do when running an online store. Bundles are so effective that it's one of the few things that's on every single product page on Amazon. Why? Because it works! The easiest way to add powerful and flexible bundle options to your store is the Bold Bundles app. It's become my favorite bundle app. I recently learned it's one of the few on Shopify that doesn't duplicate products or variants and doesn't rely on coupon codes either, so it doesn't mess up your inventory. Every store has a different idea of how they want to offer bundles. Bold Bundles can handle them all. It can do traditional group bundles, BOGO bundles, even no discount, you may also like bundles. The coolest thing though, at least according to me, is the combo product. Bold lets you create a virtual product that represents the bundle, so you can edit the product just like any other in your store, but when a customer adds it to the cart, Bold Bundles adds all the products in the bundle at whatever discount you set. It's seamless. So if you want to add bundles to your Shopify store and increase your average order value in the process, I highly recommend the Bold Bundles app. And as a listener of the unofficial Shopify podcast, Bold is offering it to you free for two months. Just go to kurtelster.com bold, and you can install it from there to get your exclusive offer. kurtelster.com bold. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page, so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. Okay, so I am joined today by by Peter White, who uh, you go by Pete, right? Yeah, that's something bad, and then Peter typically. <laughs> and you, uh, you are an, an IT project manager. Uh, I think, based on your accent, we can guess you are British. But you're yes. not. You, where are you now? Um, I am in the DFW area, right in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And How long has that been going on? Since 2008, I was going backwards and forwards since '03 for business, and then I finally moved over in '08. Okay, and how do you? Clearly, you're still here. I assume you enjoy it. Yeah, there's there's pros and cons. I think to every every country. Um, probably shouldn't talk about the the cons right now, given the timing. <laughs> but um, hopefully, one you of love those, it here. It's fantastic. Nothing is bad. One of those will go away in a month or so. Um, but no, no. Overall, I enjoy it. I enjoy the weather. You know, the weather we've got here today is nice and grey, which is you know a typical summer's day. So in the UK, so I'm I love it. <laughs> I was gonna say I have been I've been to London several times. It is just as far as I can tell, it's just endless gray. It is. There's which no... is like a Chicago winter, so I was used to <laughs> There's no extremes, it's just, you know, if you get a sunny day, that's why they can never figure out why they sell more convertibles um in the UK than anywhere else. It's because the sun never comes out, so when it does, you need to pop that roof down no matter what time <laughs> of year it is. That's how it works. All I my see. cars over there were convertibles. I you know what, I'll have to, if I go to London again, I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Um <laughs> So you are the founder of a, a store, Abstract Ocean, abstractocean.com. What does AO sell? So we sell accessories for Tesla vehicles. And how long have you been doing that? 
Um, we started in 2013. Um, it was a hobby. So um, kind of rewinding the story a little bit, I did a test drive in a Tesla, probably started 2012 or thereabouts. And we had to fly to Miami to do that. So yeah, you who the hell flies? So this to... was when they, this was like, it just came out as brand new, right? Yeah, it was, they were doing test drives, you know, we reserved and then they were doing test drives for reservation holders. And because we're in Texas and Tesla can't sell in Texas, blah, blah, blah. Um, we had to go to Miami for the test drive. So that's what we did. Um, we fell in love with the car as everyone does, right? As soon as you put your foot down for the first time in a Tesla, people just love the cars. So that's um, my car guy friends. I always go, well, don't you miss the sound of the exhaust and the engine noise and the, the cold start crackle. And I said, no, cause the, the absolutely addicting, and I, this is the crazy part. I don't even have the fastest one mm -hmm. and it still has like 490 foot pounds of torque with mm -hmm. 5,000 pounds, but it'll still do zero to 60 in 3.9 seconds. And then the coolest part is that it, it's not silent. A lot of car noise actually turns out to be road noise. But when you full throttle in a, an electric car with two motors, it, think about that, dual motors, you get like this stereo Jetsons whine <laughs> that I am now, I have grown to love and appreciate in the same way you would love traditional car noises. Exactly. But it's that like instant on, flat, smooth, perfect torque curve of an electric car that's just like addictive. So I, oh, I totally get it. Yeah, it's mental. It's mental. And, you know, your grandma could get zero to 60 the same time as anybody else, right? Whereas and it's so enough... repeatable. That's it is. what's really crazy about it. The, like, yeah. eerie consistency. I think we're not singing the praises of whatever magic Tesla used <laughs> to do their traction control enough. No, exactly. And I think, you know, there, there are plenty, plenty of criticisms for Tesla, but they sorted out the engineering from day one. And that was the key, I think, to, for them to survive this long and, and now, you know, dominate not just the EV market, but the automotive market in, in general. Oh, I went from like, I hate Tesla. I think Elon Musk is a monster to mm -hmm. I bought a used one for my wife to now I'm like, all right, we sold all our gas cars. I got a pre-order for Cybertruck and we're in the permit <laughs> permitting process for the Tesla solar roof. Right. I did a complete 180 within three weeks of buying one. Yep. That's just unreal. Um, so there's yes. a lot of really passionate owners behind it and you sell Tesla accessories. How? How do you even get started in that? What, so you, you flew, you reserved one, you drove it, you loved it, you took ownership. I'm, I'm jumping ahead and I'm guessing here, am I right? Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, from reservation to delivery, I think was probably about 18 months or thereabouts. Um, and during those 18 months, you know, the, the forums online were just starting up, Tesla Motors Club in particular. Um, and everyone That's like just- the biggest online yeah. forum now, right? Pretty much, yeah. There's there's a few of them now because you know since Model Three and Y came out, you know the the audience has expanded dramatically. But back then, it felt like a community. You know, there were probably I don't know how many users they had, maybe five thousand, maybe ten, but it felt like you knew kind of almost everybody, and everyone was just had time on their hands waiting for their damn Tesla to arrive. So. You know, you're posting pictures of your garage or garage where it's, you know, I had like a Tesla shrine with the logo and LED backlighting and everything <laughs> and the Tesla red on the back wall. I mean, it looked, it looked really good, but... I can actually... Shout out to uh, one of our show sponsors, Ventov. <laughs> Josh Highland, uh, who co-owns Ventov, has two Teslas and his garage is in fact painted red <laughs> yep. with like red and white tile on the yep. floor and this huge vinyl logo. <laughs> so yeah, you're describing that, and I was like, "Oh man!" Like I literally have a, I know this customer avatar, and yeah, I'm not absolutely. far off. No, I'll check back next summer. I'll she'll be, I'll be in there with the red paint. <laughs> exactly. So you know, just killing time till the car arrived, and it arrived. Um, you know, loved it. I still remember, you know, driving back from the Tesla service center, which at the time was in a grotty part of Dallas for sure. 
Um, but it was just fantastic. And from there, you know, the one big regret, the first car I had, I think, was a, an 85. Um, so, you know, kind of the, the, the middle, um, not the performance version. But the bum, one big regret was I wanted the 21-inch wheels. Now, on reflection, that's a stupid idea because those, those tires just pop all the damn time and they wear out yeah, so Yeah, you quick. have a very thin, on a 21-inch wheel, you end up with a very thin side. Yeah. Wheel. So and it looks very dramatic. You're rolling on rubber bands. Yeah. But, like, you hit a pothole, there's nothing to cushion it. So you bend this now very expensive wheel. I... I just put 20s on mine. Of course I wanted 21s, but yeah, for exactly that reason. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to be spending these things on a weekly or an annual basis. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to somehow figure out a way to make 5,000 bucks to, to, um, to buy a set of wheels. Um, and I was on the forum and, you know, back then Model S and subsequently Model X came with these little slippery black keys. No one had a way to put them on the key rings. You couldn't really get a key ring around them. They so still started... do. They still make the same stupid key fob. They do. Yeah. And even Model this 3 and This is the most y. shockingly, like, <laughs> ill-conceived part of the car is this key fob. Tell me about this thing. Well, I, I think, you know, if you look at Model X, I think that car was built for Elon at the time. His family, the way he, he operates, it's it's a passion project for Elon. And that includes the key as well. He's very proud of it. Showed that off very in very, very early days. And it's just <laughs> Sorry, <a> little... Elon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this little black shiny thing that looks kind of like a, a, a the Model S and the Model X. There's some buttons on it. Of course, they're not marked or anything because you just kind of, kind of stab at it and figure it out. Um, but you know, there's just no way to put it on a keyring. So we kind of created some neoprene um, fob pockets. This is all developed completely online on the Tesla Motors Club. Um, this whole project was in in the open, um, and we kind of went backs and forwards. And eventually, I think I got 50 or 100 of them made, and they sort of sold out in a day. Which, ooh, okay, well that's a that's a fun hobby. Um, and I remember probably towards the end of 2013, so six months after we sort of formed the company, which is a, a very loose term because it was all kind of by accident. It's a hobby. Um, yeah, we went up to Nebraska for Thanksgiving with the family and packed it all up in a shoebox shoe or two totes, you know, size of a shoebox. And we carried on running the business from up there because, you know, we've, we've always said we want to ship everything within a day. And we, we, we did that then. We still do it now. But, um, you know, to move move the business now, it would take many, many, many shoeboxes for sure because we've sort of busted out the house, we built a new property to put everything in there. We're busting out of that. It's just just growing exponentially at the moment. And that's because we, we hitched our wagon to the right horse, right? I mean, back in 2013, no one knew if Tesla would survive, but um, they've obviously done fantastically well and we've just benefited from that. Yes, yeah. No one wanted to be the guy who bought, like, who spent a hundred grand on a Fisker Karma only to oh. discover the company went bankrupt after you took delivery. This is a yep. real thing that happened. Because mm -hmm. um, now it's like, oh, well, you want an electric car, we'll get a Tesla. Seven years ago, it was a real gamble. Yeah. And so you had this, like, it, it, what grew out of it was this really um, uh, active community. Like, there's mm -hmm. a, a vocal, I would assume it's like a vocal minority of, um, of Tesla owners. And you were one of those early adopters, and you were part of that community. And what's so fun about, um, uh, like, these uh, grassroots community built about, around a mutual love is they start... They start talking about it, and ideas are born out of it. And so mm -hmm. it sounds like you were posting on this forum quite a bit, and we're saying, hey, you know, I found this painter problem in that this key fob, uh, you, <laughs> the buttons are unlabeled, it's slippery, it's about the size of a Hot Wheels car, like it's clearly the scale is a Hot Wheels car, and it looks like a Hot Wheels car, but it's actually your, your remote to pop your trunk and open your doors. And it's totally unlabeled, and there's no way to put a key ring on it. It's a very bizarre, it looks cool, but turned out to be totally impractical. And so I assume you posted on a forum with these concerns and said, you know, maybe I could do something about this. 
Yeah, and we posted the whole development lifecycle. It's still there on the forum if you look back. But you know, photos oh, cool. of the prototypes and everything else. You know, our whole history is there. Um, you know, in the early days, and it just kind of evolved. And you know, from the first batch of 100, we kind of evolved it some more. Then we moved on to making them out of um, silicone rubber. Um, we got sort of leather and pleather. You know, um, synthetic leather versions as well. And that was kind of our core product for a long time. You know, back when S and X were the only models that Tesla sold. They weren't selling that many of those, right? And it's a very niche crowd, um, and you could you, you knew the crowd very well because it's still part of the community. And then all of a sudden, in 2018, Model 3 launched, and it the whole dynamic changed. Obviously, in terms of volume, in terms of the target audience, just in terms of the whole the whole kind of explosion of Tesla accessories just went crazy at that point. It's true. That's like, <laughs> yeah, that Model 3 really really expanded things, um, especially for the the aftermarket around the cars. And so you you come up with this um, uh, this key fob holder to solve a, a painter problem for owners. It's grassroots. You develop the whole thing on a forum. You sell a hundred of them. Well, now you've got this big, very successful business with this big catalog. What happened in between? Like, what was the next move? Um, it's a good question. And you know, I don't I don't like calling myself an entrepreneur. But when I look back over my whole past, you know, I've always had side hustles. You know, when I was fourteen, I was doing two paper rounds and you know, marking up the papers. So again, I have a 4 a.m. to go right at the top of a newspaper. And, you know, I had, you know, back then I was working um, shifts at a bank. So I had a, a regular job as well. And then I was washing cars. You know, my big claim to fame um, was that I used to wash the Rolls Royce for a guy called Alan Sugar, who's now a lord over in the UK, but he hosts The Apprentice over in the UK as well. Um, and somehow or another, I had a fish tank business. And I managed to install a fish tank in the reception of his company and a few other companies. Um, just a whole bunch of weird sort of hustles, but I've never really had anything that stuck for very long. Um, and then it turns out that, you know, I think the, the main thing about this business is that it's a passion. You know, I know the market. I feel like I know the market inside and out. I obviously know all of our products inside and out. You know, we don't sell anything that we would not be ecstatic to use in our own cars. You know, we have a couple of testers, a Model Y and a Model 3 at the moment, but we use all the stuff we sell. Um, you know, if you go on Amazon, there's plenty of junk on there. There's some good stuff too, but um, you know, there's so many clone products that are just rubbish from no-name companies. So um, probably about two years ago, when orders started picking up, the the audience started expanding. We made a conscious decision: one, to exit Amazon, and two, to focus on quality of the product and quality of service, and not just get involved in a race to the bottom because that's a, a zero-sum game. Oh, so as this business, as you see velocity picking up and there's a new a new model out because originally they only sold the one car now they got two and we know then there, there's you know two more down coming down the road um you said hey we're not going to sell on amazon yeah we were on amazon for probably two years off and on um you know everyone has horror stories right amazon have too much control over your business you know at one point we were selling screen protectors which you know very obviously are sort of one use things right and we would get customers returning to Amazon saying, well, this arrived used. Well, of course it didn't arrive used. That's just not a thing with screen protectors. But, you know, right. all of a sudden, yeah, Amazon... good luck putting the backing back on that. Well, exactly, yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, Amazon restrict your listing. And then, yeah, well, there goes the revenue for a couple of weeks while you, while you fight with um, seller, whatever they're called, seller services or something in, in, um, in India. And it's just very, very difficult. And it just became so, so frustrating for us. We didn't have control. Um, over our, our sales channel, which is which is horrible. Um, so yeah, at that point, you know, we we had a we had a website as well since 2013, which was on BigCommerce. Um, yeah, um, 
And yeah, we, we grew with big commerce in fairness. So it, it was going well, but I think Amazon served a purpose for a while. You know, we were on there while SNX was sort of the main cars that Tesla was selling. It got our name out there. Um, but over time, it just became more sensible to kind of own the brand, own the sales channel um, and just bring it all in house. So what was the thing that made that helped you drive consistent growth? Was it word of mouth? Was it participation in grassroots communities like Tesla Motors Club? What was it? Yeah, it's all of the above, I think. I, I really, you know, I, I, I sort of, I, you know, everything we do is done from a personal perspective. So, you know, again, we don't, we try not to sell the junk. You can go on Alibaba and find all kinds of stuff, but people know me in the test community. You know, I take it personally. Um, you know, back in the day, we would get maybe one or two support tickets a week. And, you know, I, I love those days. You know, now we get that amount every hour and you know it becomes oh, um but it's okay you know we, we we really try and maintain that personal connection with with the with the customers because they're still owners you know they're still fellow owners to us so we really want to maintain that relationship and you know i think a lot of companies go through this sort of transition where um they think well we're hiding behind this e-commerce wall so do we pretend to be this big giant company with all kinds of facilities and capabilities or do we be this you know little mom and pop kind of homebrew store and we don't really want to be either of those two things. We're, we're bigger than a mom and pop stop at shop and we're more competent than that, I think. Um, but we do want to maintain that sort of personal aspect. You know, the whole business is myself and my wife and, um, you know, we have other people helping us, but, you know, we own it. We take everything very personally. And if we get a ticket complaining about a product or something like that, then we fix it and, and you know, we, we deal with it as quickly as we can. But it's really important for us to sort of maintain our reputation in the marketplace more than anything else. The... I like that idea that you're like, look, we're not, we're, we're not pretending to be something we're not. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate? It sounds like, you know, owning the size of the business is important to you. How do you think you communicate that? I think we've gone through many iterations. If you, if you look at our newsletters that we send out sporadically, you know, we don't have a good cadence on those yet. We're working on that. But, you know, we've, we've toggled between different personalities and, you know, we've done some crude A-B testing to see what people like and what people don't like. And, um, they tend not to like the, the preamble, which is, you know, just whatever's in my head or my wife's head of that week. So we, we sort of drop that and we kind of focus more on product. But, um, you know, we try to inject some personality in, in everything we say and do, particularly in, uh, you know, in the support desk, right? I mean, selling stuff is one thing, but supporting it after sales is, is, is another thing. And I think people rely more and more on that. And, you know, the differentiator between us and an Amazon or Walmart or any of those guys is, you know, the service is very generic by design because they're a commodity seller. Um, and we're not, we're a niche seller. We know the product, we use it in our cars. Um, so we can always talk to it from a technical perspective and, and from an installation perspective. So, you know, that's where we put our focus. And, you know, most people that make contact with us through support, A, love the experience, but but B, enjoy kind of the, the banter. Um, and that's, you know, that's good and bad. You know, um, Crystal in particular will have ongoing chats for weeks you know after this, <laughs> the issue has long since resolved which you know from a cost perspective maybe not the best use of time but from a relation perspective it's a great use of time and we're totally okay with that well and i think one of the issues with the aftermarket space in like automotive aftermarket for any community um but automotive aftermarket particularly is you tend to see like this you know one brand will do you can you can the market research is very public because you could go on a forum and you can see like these are the parts that people are installing and these are the parts people are talking these are the parts people are talking about so then it's very easy to have confidence uh, to add these items to your catalog so i think you know, within this space having a differentiating factor in the form of like you know, we're the real deal we're genuinely invested we're real people you can talk to us 
I think that has a um an ROI in terms of like long term customer lifetime value. Yeah, no, I agree. And we run we run a um a sentiment analysis tool which just kind of scours the web and the forums just for anything that mentions us um or our competitors and quite frequently now on forums people will come to our defense if someone says something negative about us and that's great mm. right now our customers are by far our best advocates um so when we don't even have to you know pay attention to that stuff that's that's fantastic that's when you have kind of you know a grassroots support base that that takes care of some things for you which is great how uh, well what's this uh, you said the sentiment analysis tool that sounds cool what is that i think it's called senti one um and it just, as I say, it just you can put search terms in there. It just kind of pulls back the content, sends you a daily digest, and um, it helps because you know very frequently, you know, there's several forums now. Um, I can't, I don't have the time to be on them all the time. So it just surfaces the content that we need to take care of and respond. Is to. there? Do you see content that pops up, or you go, well, this is concerning. I need to address this. Like. You watch it and then it, it flags stuff. You go, all right, I'm going to go post and reply. Yeah, more often than not, it's, you know, someone saying, well, you know, should I buy my stuff from this company or this company? And they mention us, they mention the other companies. So, you know, generally the conversation just happens without us and I just kind of keep an eye on it. But if there's any kind of pertinent points I can drop in there, um, you know, particularly with, you know, shipping is obviously a massive headache for everybody at the moment. So, um, you know, I can talk to that with some honesty and explain, well, you know, if you're, if you're in Europe, you may want to do DHL rather than USPS because it'll get there. Um, but, you know, I can just kind of be a bit more honest and um, have a better sort of conversation on a forum than I can on a web page, on a static web page where it's just, you know, a bunch of words. Right. And so you're, uh, it sounds like you ship internationally, right? Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be kind of a, uh, I can't use the right word, you might use your bleep machine right now. I'd be kind of an ass if I didn't um, ship internationally because obviously I'm, I'm not from here originally. So we set out originally saying it was a global company and, I have no regrets in doing that at all. Um, you know, some of our best customers uh, are overseas, especially in countries like Norway, right? Where, um, you know, it's the most populous country but per capita for Tesla because you buy a Tesla tax-free or you can buy a BMW M5 and pay 47% tax. So oh, it's, a, it's a no-brainer. There's so many Teslas over there. So we have um, a B2B channel as well, a wholesale channel. And most of that goes uh, to Norway over a wholesale, which, which is better for us because, you know, shipping internationally is difficult it's complicated there's customs there's duty um with you know covid you know usps in particular um they're starting to send stuff by boat when they run out of planes and it's just become a, a really tough year for shipping um and that's the vast bulk of our support tickets at the moment as well it's just dealing is it's just hey where's my order and it's overseas yeah and we've got all kinds of tools on the website where people can see it but um you know, with it's, it's slowly improving, but USPS and all the local mail carriers rely on commercial air traffic, right? So if there's no passenger flights flying, they don't have planes to put the stuff on. So it just piles up in New York or Chicago, which is our two main main hubs, and then they need to move it on somehow. So eventually, and this was in the summer, it's better now. I don't think they're using boats, but they put it on a boat to Amsterdam. And then from Amsterdam, it gets on a train and goes somewhere else in Europe. So, you know, a horrendous journey. And the tracking intervals are so slow, obviously, because when it's on a boat, it's not doing anything for, for two or three weeks. So I was going to say, how long does shipping something on a boat overseas take? <laughs> it's not the fastest. It's not, not at all. The actual transit time, I think, is about 10 to 12 days. But then they've got to unload the cargo. And it's just, you know, it's an, it's an ugly, ugly process. And it's not been very enjoyable for, for us or, or the customers, unfortunately. But it's something that... Yeah, we're constantly turning turning little dials and knobs and figuring out the best way to get it over there for the lowest cost, but it's it's difficult. And it seems like um, is DHL the answer for international? DHL are rock solid. I've got nothing bad to say about them. Yeah, you know, we we 
yeah, even right up until Christmas. If we mail something today to the UK, which is you know, today's a Tuesday, it'll be there by Friday. You can virtually guarantee it every time. But they have wow. their own planes, right? So do UPS, they're just slower, but you know, having their own planes makes it a lot easier to move stuff around. So if you're, we're recording this, um, it's uh, December 15th. How do you feel about shipping it? Um, it didn't, for us, it didn't really happen. Um, if anything, it's probably, it's certainly better now than it was in the summer. Um, yeah, we didn't really experience any issues. You know, we, we have a, you know, obviously a daily pickup with UPS and, and DHL and USPS. And, you know, our volumes over the last few weeks, we started Black Friday um, a week early just to kind of help the European side of things and get that stuff out earlier. But we didn't experience any, any particular issues. When did you start your Black Friday sale? I think we started on the 17th, so roughly a week or so early. Um, Would you, do you think you'll start it early next year? <sighs> no, don't think so. It kind of prolonged the, you know, for, for, I think for every e-commerce company that does their own fulfillment, which we do, um, it prolongs the pain rather than getting over all in one. So, so it's like ripping off the band-aid <laughs> slowly or quickly. What do you want to do? Um, so... No, not unless we need to. You know, we did it purely because we really wanted to encourage the international buyers to take care of the business early on. Because you know, if they're going to be buying it after Thanksgiving, chance of good is not going to get there before Christmas if they're using the low cost shipping. DHL, no problem, but the lower cost stuff is just very slow at the moment. Hold up. It's safe to say that most of us have been doing more shopping online lately. I know I have. There's just a pile of packages in front of my door. I can't even get the front door open. But if you're an e-commerce brand, that means you might be seeing more first-time customers. But once they've made that first purchase, how do you keep them coming back? That's what Klaviyo is for. Klaviyo is the ultimate email and SMS marketing platform for e-commerce brands. It gives you the tools to build your list, send memorable emails, automate critical messages, and more. Way, way more. That's why more than 30,000 e-commerce brands like Chubby's, Brooklinen, and Keysmart use Klaviyo to build a loyal following. Strong customer relationships mean more repeat sales, enthusiastic word of mouth, and less depending on third-party ads. Now, whether you're launching a new business or taking your brand to the next level, Klaviyo can help you get growing faster. And it's free to get started. Visit Klaviyo.com to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com. Talk to him. Um, One thing I was worried about. So on this site, you're selling, you're selling car parts, but they change... They're specific to a vehicle, and you're dealing with a company that's four vehicles, adding a fifth one, presumably. So how do you deal with segmentation where, like, you know, if I buy for one car, you know what I'm interested in and you know what products will no longer be available or interesting to me? Do you do any segmentation around, like, vehicle ownership? So we started to. Um, this is part of my journey on Clavio. So we were on MailChimp up until about a year ago or a year and a half ago. We switched to Clavio. Love it. Um, and we started to assign interests to customers so we can figure out generally what they're driving from the products they, they purchase. But the Tesla world is a little bit different. You know, pretty much everything that works in Model S works in Model X um, and everything works in Model 3 works in Model Y. That makes it quite simple. But then um, Tesla are constantly changing stuff all the damn time. So it becomes a little trickier. You know, Model 3, the Model Year 21 has just launched. That's got a different center console. We sell a bunch of stuff to accessorize that part of the car. Um, so now we need to kind of segment a little bit deeper. We need to make um, make it clear on the website as well what's compatible with what model. Um, and that's kind of you know a constant challenge for us, trying to sort of surface that information where people actually 
take take the time to read it frankly because again a lot of our support stuff is based on the customer buying the wrong product and every time that happens we try and be proactive and go back to the page make the adjustments and clarify a little bit more just to get to the point where you know we're selling the right stuff to the right people but it's an ongoing challenge and tesla are constantly tweaking their cars which may seem hey. trivial but sometimes it's has a very quick impact on us well, and one of the, the frustrating things is if they make a model change mid-year, mm -hmm. and this is true of any automaker, um, but yeah, if you have, it's like, well, if you have a 2017.5, yeah. you know, this will fit, but otherwise it won't. And by the way, uh, good luck figuring out which <laughs> which model year yours is. That's the thing, yeah, and you know, I'm in the middle of the Tesla world, so what I think is blindingly obvious is not at all obvious to someone that's just bought their first Model Y or Model 3, so, and we have to be cognizant of that, and I'm not always... I'm not always, but I need to be, and we're trying harder to to figure that out. Because unlike just about every other manufacturer, you know, that maybe launch a car and then three years time they facelift it, and then another three years time they just relaunch a different version of it. You know, Tesla are constantly evolving. You know, Model S, uh, our first Model S, the 2013 model, is just nothing like a 2020 Model S at all. And Elon's gone on record and said, you know, they're making 10 to 20 changes every week on the cars so it's just oh, great and most of those are under the covers there's a lot of software as well but right. yeah, some of those are material and they impact our product set as well uh have you thought about using a uh, a vehicle fitment app like um easy ymm so it'd be like you know you you, you put in your year your 2017 model s 100d i have not no but that sounds like a great idea so same sort of thing that amazon and ebay motors uses that kind yes of, yeah yeah so the there's several apps that will do this it's called ymm filtering year make model um i trialed a whole bunch of them the one i like we use this on uh corsa volant carcane overlander they all run um easy ymm by nexus media and it gives you you can either have it like um the, the simplest way it works is you you give it like a, a spreadsheet, a table of here's, here are my vehicles and these are the vehicle specific collections. Or you can also have it filter by tag. And then it's just like, and then you pick whatever makes sense for your catalog. Hmm. But that might be an easy way to help people sort through it. And what I found, like I think in general, is it's segmentation up front. So people self-select like this, these are the parts that are uh, interesting to me. And then they end up on like, all right, here's a collection of those, of the parts that fit your vehicle plus the universal parts. And then you can even do, depending on how big that collection ends up being, then you do like sidebar filtering where it's like pick, you set a price range or a brand or a product type. Yeah, that sounds awesome, actually. I think, you know, back in the early days when it was just two cars and they weren't moving, changing much, we didn't need something like that. But we're definitely getting to that point now where we, we need to, you know, there's four models, but conceptually there's at least 12 variations within that model set. So something like that. Yeah, it starts getting weird pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the, and like, that's why when people ask like, oh, what's owning a Tesla like? I say, well, I think like mindset wise, you have to think about it like owning an exotic car. It doesn't cost Ferrari prices, but there's going to be some weirdness. There is. Yeah. I, I always call it an iPad on wheels, but, um, because you know, the technology changes so quickly and, you know, as I say, a 2017 model S even compared to a 2020, there's so many changes. It's crazy. Well, and that's why I'm like, I'm literally paying money to get the computer out of a 2020 stuck yeah. in my 2017 because of exactly that reason. Yep. You're upgrading your so PC. Do you, yeah. And on top of it, one of the things I'm going to get out of it is I get to play games on it so I can impress my 11 year old. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It's a PC. It's running. The new one is um, Intel Atom. <laughs> and has Tesla ever reached out to you, good or bad? Um, both, actually. So it's, it, this is kind of interesting. You know, our largest customer collectively is Tesla. 
because we sell a bunch of little fob pockets and other accessories to the service centers. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So, That's interesting. So they're our largest customer, but um, Tesla Corporate, bad people over in Fremont, um, they just <laughs> they just won't engage with us. We've tried, and we got pretty close to their marketing team when they had a, a marketing team back in maybe 2014 or 2015. Um, there was a guy there. We were kind of going backs and forwards. You know, we really wanted to, to, to have some sort of licensing deal with them because they did send us a, a, a nasty gram probably towards the beginning of 2014 because at the time we were making these fob pockets, you know, a hobby business. We we're putting the logo on the front of it and they, they didn't like that. So they sent us a takedown notice. So we had a big fire sale, two weeks, buy everything or sell everything. Um, and then we just reinvented ourselves and we just took the Tesla logo off stuff and just kind of carried on manufacturing the products and expanding the product set. So it was a good learning. And since then, we've had no issues with Tesla. You know, I think that we genuinely try and enhance the brand. We're not the company that just grabs the logo and sticks on a coffee mug or a T-shirt and calls it done. You know, that's that's sort of fairly abhorrent to, to us because that's adding no value at all. Um, but yeah, we can't get any more traction with Tesla at the moment. They're just very difficult, and they they turn their people so quickly as well. You, know, you try to build a relationship, and then all of a sudden that 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 person's gone, and you you start over again. Yeah, I've heard. Well, I just read an article last week. I think they claim that they don't have a PR team. <laughs> No. Just the PR person left uh, quite some time ago, and as far as anyone could tell, there's no PR team. No, it's just whatever Elon, it's Elon. tweets. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they do. They're definitely atypical in many ways. It is. I mean, it's the unvarnished truth, and you know, Elon is no expert at PR, but you know, generally speaking, he's he's very good at it. But and you know, imagine trying to contact the CEO of BMW or Volkswagen on on Twitter. Or any anyway, it's impossible. So, well, we have a colleague um, Kelly Vaughn who was on the show tweeted at Elon. She said, "Hey, you should have an I'm feeling lucky and an I'm feeling hungry button." <laughs> and he replied, "Sure." And then, sure enough, in a f update, there's now an I'm feeling hungry button in the car <laughs> yeah. under the navigation. That's Kelly Vaughn's button. Yeah, it's crazy. You can you can and it's literally because she tweeted at it. Yeah. So they uh, but so they don't give you any any hassle over the the Tesla puddle lights or should I have not called attention to it? No, they don't. And yeah, you know, we're obviously not the only company selling those. But um, again, I try and I try and justify it that we're leaning on the side of enhancing the brand and it's kind of artistic license as opposed to just slapping the logo on something and calling it done. So um, so no, so far we've we've sort of maintained a a healthy but distant relationship, I guess. <laughs> okay, I understand. Treading lightly, yeah, I think is is the way to go. <laughs> Um, you know, and if they say, they said, hey, you can't sell these fobs, you said, all right, we're going to stop doing that. Yeah. So I think as long as, um, as long as you play nice in the sandbox, should be okay. Exactly. But it would be nice if they had like official licensing. It would, right? yeah. Other brands do it. Other brands do well with it. Like, um, you know, some of these, especially uh, more performance oriented stuff, mm -hmm. they're happy to develop a relationship and approve of, and then will often resell that stuff themselves at an, um, at an upcharge and be like, look, if you get this part, this aftermarket part that we approve of installed in the dealership at no small expense, we'll warranty it. Oh my gosh, that's cool. Tesla could be doing that. They could, and you know, back in the early days, probably 2014 or 2015, I sent a, a little pitch deck to, to Elon. I don't, I don't suppose he ever saw it, but you know, with all kinds of things, but basically suggesting that Tesla isn't great at making accessories, right? Their shop is pretty, pretty lame. 
Um, so it's all just like weird overpriced apparel. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they are literally slapping the logo on a T-shirt. Um, it was. Yeah, they, you're doing exactly the thing you just you described. <laughs> so you know, there's there's a market there for kind of the store of stores with you know curated accessories or whatever, but um, they don't put focus on it. You know, Elon's alluded to it a couple of times that they're going to and never really do. So yeah, for that reason, there's a very healthy aftermarket community built up around around Tesla. So. Um, Going back to, to e-commerce, we got yeah. derailed there. Yeah. On Shopify, your store um, did not start. You went like Amazon to big commerce to Shopify. What was the thing that made you... It, clearly, you were successful by the time you jumped from big commerce to Shopify. What was the thing that made you go, man, I am done with this. It is time to, to rip the Band-Aid off. Because it's, it's effort. It's not easy, necessarily, to do um, a, a platform... Uh, a replatforming or platform migration. No, and um, you know, it makes me sad actually because we did start with BigCommerce back in 2013, and back then, um, you know, it was Shopify or BigCommerce for us. And I think at the time, Shopify were charging a transactional fee on every sale. BigCommerce weren't. That was it. I went BigCommerce, and you know, we grew with them. We grew, you know, into a, a seven-figure company with BigCommerce. But this past year, sort of 2019 into 2020, um, the support just became terrible and we were having a lot of issues in particular with with apple pay um, and we see from our you know from our analytics that 60 percent of our visitors are on an apple device on a mobile apple device 75 percent are coming from mac or ios so that's an important thing and they just would not fix the problem and it was clearly their issue um, so we went back and forth you know, went through several different um you know success managers and it just wasn't working out for us so you know the very last thing i want to do in the middle of a pandemic is move our e-commerce store but that's what we decided to do in the summer of, of 2020 um, and we went live on Shopify uh, at the end of September with your help and you know we've really not looked back it's a very different world you know I'm still getting used to the to the Shopify world um, you know the app store is obviously as we've all talked about is it's a double-edged sword um, but overall you know the experience is better I think um, you know big commerce for me there are a few little annoying bugs in their UI that you get used to um, but it would drive you insane. There's one in particular that you would catch me every single time. You, know, you set up your product, you put all your description in, you load up your photos, hit submit, and it says, well, you didn't put a weight in. All right. And then it just clears everything. It's like, oh, good that was the worst. It really is. It really, really is. And most of the time you remember to cut and paste everything before you hit submit just in case. But sometimes you don't. And that's just horrible having to you know, recreate that creative moment when you're trying to create your, your product um, verbiage. So it's just lots of little things that compounded it. And at the same time, Shopify getting bigger. I love the Shopify checkout experience on other web stores. Um, you know, it's very seamless, the shop pay thing. So it just seemed like the right move. And most of our competitor sites are also on Shopify. So for any number of reasons, it was just time to make that move, I think. It's kind of interesting that you, you brought that up. You said, hey, it's a, the thing that got us annoyed was that Apple Pay didn't work. Mm -hmm. And do you think there's a um, a correlation between your customers, so Tesla owners, and them being um, Apple owners, where they're like they've bought in to that ecosystem? For sure. I mean, you know, domestically, forty percent of our shipments go to California uh, or West Coast, I should say. Not that everyone in California owns an iPhone, but you know, it's predominantly Mac and iPhone users or Apple users that are our customers, and we see that globally. Um, so it's it's interesting, you know, our Dynamic is very clearly a, a tech literate audience. Um, probably a couple of years ago, we tried doing a, a click funnel thing where you, know, you try and upsell people on uh, you know, right. doing sales. Like press. a traditional yeah. Um, uh, funnel. Yeah, exactly. And it was horrible. You know, the customers hated it. And, you know, I, I regret doing it now. <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting experiment, but it told us again that, you know, our audience 
isn't that kind of audience, right? They know what they're doing. They know what they're looking for. They know how to use a website. They know when you're trying to upsell them on something they don't necessarily need. So we backed off that real so quick. So they were offended. They felt they were being hustled. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it was, it was yeah, pretty disastrous. It didn't hurt us long term, but we didn't benefit from it in terms of sales or anything else like that. So we've become a lot more subtle in terms of how we do that kind of thing. So Tesla famously, uh, for many years, has not marketed. Their marketing budget is zero. You have never seen a Tesla commercial on television or a paid ad from these people, which is wild. They rely essentially on uh, owners evangelizing it and uh, Elon's Twitter. Really bizarre. Do you have to advertise? <laughs> we do. I mean, we still rely on word of mouth as much as we can. You know, we, we, we have a lot of reviews. I think we've just passed 11,000 reviews. So, you know, that helps a lot. I think that, um, you know, same as Amazon, right? People look at the reviews before making a purchase, a buying decision. So, um, you know, from where our competitors, we, we've got more reviews than all of them combined. So that helps a lot. You know, we still participate on forums. We still kind of sponsor some of the owners' clubs and some of their events, you know, give away little freebies and stuff like that. So um, it's still word of mouth mostly. And, you know, as I say, that community kind of drives itself on the forums and on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Um, but at the same time, we still have to do stuff on Google and Facebook and um, I've actually got a tab open right now to add the TikTok add-in to Shopify. I haven't clicked clicked the button yet, but that's probably going to be the next thing we do. Going backwards, uh, looking backwards, hindsight being twenty twenty. When was the most like when you started? It was you had you're you're working a a full time job. You you bought this car. You're just interested in um in in the community, and you came up with this um uh the the original product, the key fob. At what point did it occur to you? Did it dawn on you? Like this is this is bigger than I think. This could be my my full time job. This could support my family. So I remember it quite clearly. Actually, it was one night. I don't know what time of year it was. It was probably towards you know around about you know Black Friday in 2013 or 2014. Um, and I sat down on the couch with my wife, probably you know 10:30 at night after we packed whatever it was. Our 20 orders for the day or something crazy, crazy small like that. And we sort of looked at each other and said, oh, this is taking a lot of time. You know, do we do we commit to this or do we let it go? Because it was kind of at that pivotal point where it seemed like it could be a viable um, business. Um, and we decided to, to go forward with it. Um, at the time, you know, we were literally running the business out of a dining room on, you know, one, you know, run, one rack of, of inventory. Um, but from there on, it just kind of kept growing and growing. But we, we had to make a conscious decision that, all right, we're going to give up our evenings and weekends and any other spare time just to focus on this. And, you know, it's it's not easy. You know, it's every single day for us is, you know, it's a 10, 12 hour day. Um, but because we have the passion, I think, and because we care about it, um, it's not a commodity business for us. I think that helps kind of get you through some of the, the rougher days. The If you had to do it over again, would you do it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I get, you know, my, my day job is IT, which is fine, but it doesn't give me a creative outlet hardly at all. Um, so I need that. I need that something else in my life just to kind of keep me going. So, yeah, I've, in, I've enjoyed it, even during the roughest times. And, you know, for us, when COVID first bit, kind of in, you know, April, May time frame, it was really difficult for us. But, um, you know, we got through that. We're stronger than ever now. And, um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would always do this again. The, if you, if you had to give someone advice who's in this position where like they've started their store, they're making 10 orders a day, what's your advice to them? Um, 
well keep going for a start you know we started you know exactly the same way you know we were handwriting the the, the envelopes as we were sending out the products you know which is you know looking back that's crazy you know if our, our zebra printer breaks for a second now we're we're, we're just scared oh christ how are we going to do with this <laughs> um but no just keep going because i think if you have a passion and the audience around you has a passion and you're selling a good product um then it will grow it will grow legs eventually you know for us you know 2013 2014 in fact, the first three or four years, we were doubling year on year, but you know, it doesn't mean anything because that just means you're going from 10 to 20 to 40 to 80 orders a day. Um, so it's, you know, it's good, consistent growth. But then all of a sudden, you know, Model 3, Model Y, and then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're still doubling, but it becomes more difficult as, as every year goes on. But um, I think if you have the passion and belief behind it, um, you know, it's something that anybody can do. And I know that's so easy to say once you've achieved it, but, you know, I'm, I'm not the youngest chicken around now so it's taken me a long time to find a business that's stuck you know i've had probably in my lifetime i don't know 20 decent side hustles that were only maybe some sort of money but none of them ever exploded and th this one i wouldn't say exploded but it's grown consistently and it's still growing consistently uh i think you're having seen the analytics i, th I think you're understanding it really it, it's a, a tremendous business that uh, most people would be uh, thrilled to have if you had to go back and give yourself advice, this is my second to last question, my penultimate question. What what advice would that be? What would you tell a you would tell Pete in 2015? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think have more self belief in what you're doing. Um, you know, every day and still now, right? I, I don't take anything for granted, and I don't really recognize the success we have you know i'm constantly focusing on the problems and the challenges rather than just taking a minute to take a breath and look back and see what we've achieved um you know we employ five or six people which you know is my wife's full-time job so we've done we've done good um but yeah just take a minute and i you know this is advice i'll give myself today as well as 2015 just take a minute to look back and see what you've achieved versus just focusing on the on the problems and the negativity all the time it, you know, that is good advice because that's something I have to regularly remind myself of. Like, all right, you, I, the, as I, I grow older and wiser, I think it really is, is critical, a critical part of, of your own mental health to be grateful, to give gratitude for, um, you know, for your blessings and for own, your own achievements. Like sometimes you could be overly modest and end up just overlooking all the positive things you've done, and then you're just only focusing on the negative. I, I think that's very good advice. Pete, where where can our our fellow Tesla owners go to check out your your merchandise? We are at abstractocean.com. Very good, Abstract Ocean. I will put it in the show notes. Uh, anything else? Any closing thoughts? Um, no, I don't think so. Just going back to the gratitude thing real quickly. So you know, my wife and I frequently have this conversation, and she, you know, she's. You know, believes in the the universe bringing stuff to you and stuff like that so whenever i'm complaining about you know our order volume for the day or something like that you know she says well no it's fine i mean look at this look at this and i'm looking at my analytics and the dashboard and you know i'm sort of working with facts and she's working with the universe but yeah i think most of the time it levels out so she's probably right longer term and you know focusing on the numbers as such an intricate number yeah uh, you know at such a sort of granular level every day isn't always the best thing you've got to sort of take a step back look at the bigger picture um and then you sort of see a, a much kind of clearer view of where the company is and where it's going yeah if you look at if you like just drill down to i'm looking at my conversion rate for <laughs> today only less than 24 hours down this path madness lies 
You will make yourself crazy so quickly doing this. Yep. Um, yeah, you need to look at it uh, longer term and then also look at it like bigger picture. Like, okay, where were we two years ago? Where do we think we're going to go two years from now? Um, Pete, this has been fantastic and inspiring and insightful. And thank you for doing it. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. If you've ever updated your Shopify theme, you know how time consuming it can be, especially if you have to migrate customizations like app installs or language edits. Fortunately, there's a better way. The folks at Out of the Sandbox built a tool that makes updating your theme faster and significantly easier. It's called the Theme Updater app. With it, you can update your Out of the Sandbox or Pixel Union theme with the click of a button without losing any of your old settings, customizations, or app installations. You'll get email notifications whenever a new version of your theme is available. And with the Pro Plan option, you can enjoy access to priority theme support, retain custom language edits, and view template customizations to accelerate your theme updates. Start updating your theme today. Go to outofthesandbox.com unofficial to see the theme updater in action. And best of all, if you purchase Flex or Turbo using the code KURT20, you'll save 20% and get a year of access to the theme updater absolutely free. That's right. Save 20% and get one year of updates and upgrades for free. That's code KURT20 for 20% off Flex or Turbo and one year free of the Theme Updater app. Never miss out on another theme update again. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors, so please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.